0: My advice to anybody who almost insists on investing in watches, I say look at Patek Philippe, look at Rolex, but you also have to be very picky about which models within those brands that you're looking at. There are some others, Audemars Piguet, there's a few collections within their brand that I would say are safe bets or not safe bets, but then there's always these anomalies, right? There are watches that might come out and they might not sell well originally, and then something happens within the market or within the brand where all of a sudden that price skyrockets
1: and vice versa. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset Show. This is a podcast about the financial, money, and recreational mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. Let's dive into today's show.
2: To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.
1: Hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, your host for the Midland Money Mindset Show and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today, I have a great guest and a good friend, John Keel, of Watch Gauge. John is a 20-year veteran of the wristwatch industry. He's the owner of WatchGauge.com, which is an exclusively online retailer of wristwatches specializing in micro brands. If you're a craft beer fan, think of microbrews, but to the watch industry. He not only deals in micro brands, but also enjoys helping his clients find rare and unique watches as well. It's an honor and a privilege to have him on the show. So I'd like to introduce John Keel from WatchGage to the show today. He's not only an interesting guy and in a great business, but also a personal friend of mine. So. Thanks for coming on the show, John. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So WatchGage, how long have you been around for now? I launched the website on September 1st of 2017. Awesome. So just three years old, your three-year birthday. And what made you, Watch Gage in watches, what made you start in the watch industry?
0: It's a very long story. I'll give you the short version. But when I got out of college, I was a project manager for a software company in Manhattan. Well, let me back up. My very first thing I purchased with my very first paycheck in that position was a Tag Heuer watch. Which uh, one? Which one? It was a 6,000 series and it was quartz because at the time I didn't know the difference between a quartz <laughs> watch and an automatic watch. Okay. So I noticed that all the guys in the office who seemed successful had a nice watch. So with my very first paycheck, I cashed it, went down to Torno and bought a watch and felt like I was on top of the world. And prior to that, I never wore a watch. And at one point during that short career... I went out to uh, the Hamptons to a barbecue, and I ran into a guy, met a guy, a friend of a friend, who was the importer of a high-end German watch brand. And he saw my watch. We got to talking. And a few weeks later, he called me up and said, hey, I'm looking for a guy to run my sales for the United States. Are you interested? A few months later, I was running a watch brand. And everything at that time, because it was pre-internet, or I shouldn't say pre-internet, but pre-watch internet, because Swiss watch industry is far behind the times on everything, but I learned everything myself through magazines, catalogs, more reading material than you can imagine, because I just, within no time, just instantly fell in love with watches,
1: the mechanics, the history. That's this real short version. I think that's great, especially considering we're the Midland Money Mindset. You want to do something that you love, and you started out in an area that maybe wasn't the best fit for you, but life took you where you wanted it to be, and you've been there ever since, which is great. Yeah. Now, watch gauge, you guys, really specialize in micro brands. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So when
0: I was starting Watch Gauge, one guy said something to me about a year prior, said, look, if you're starting a business, you don't want to compete with Amazon and everybody else out on the internet. So that kind of set me back in my mind because what was I going to sell that wasn't everywhere already? Right. And at that time, when I left my traditional business or job that I worked for somebody, I had a very nice collection of very high-end watches, and I sold all of those watches to fund my entrepreneurial dream. And with that, I still had the desire to buy watches and consume watches and wear them. And I stumbled upon a whole segment of the industry that I was unaware of called microbrands. And a lot of people will ask, what is a microbrand?" And I use the same analogy every time. It's the same thing If you compare it to micro brews, right, you have Budweiser, Heineken, Corona, all the big brands, and then you have all these micro brews everywhere. Well, in the watch industry, it's the same thing. You have Tag Hora, you have Omega, you have Rolex, and all the big guys who have been around for years and have billions of dollars. And now, because of Kickstarter and all this crowdfunding a couple of years ago coming to the world, individuals are now starting their own watch brands with these great design ideas. They're crowdfunding them. And here we are with a whole segment of the market called micro brands.
1: That is a great analogy as a huge beer person, myself, IPA lover, as well. craft brewery, excellent analogy. So it doesn't necessarily, there's no like price delineation or Other delineating factors that say, hey, this is a micro brand and this is a macro brand, other than the fact that it's a smaller company, more niche versus a larger company? It's a fantastic question. Where in the beer industry, you go
0: into a fine craft brewer, you know that you're going to spend far more money on a, let's say, a six pack or a 12 pack than you would on a traditional brand. In the watch industry, that's actually opposite. So, where a stainless steel Rolex Submariner with an automatic movement and Sapphire Crystal might cost you close to $9,000 or more. A micro brand with virtually the same components, same exact steel, similar type movement, sapphire crystal, will cost you anywhere from $400 up to maybe $1,500. So the micro brand world is actually much more approachable than the mainstream watch market, which also plays to my benefit as a
1: guy representing micro brands. Sure, now, are you only representing micro brand? If I wanted a macro brand, can we still come to you and have you help us out, or how does that work?
0: You can, so aside from the micro brands on, on Watch Gauge that I represent and sell and market, I also carry bigger brands like G-Shock, Zodiac. Recently, as a matter of fact, haven't even gotten my delivery yet, signed on with Timex. The big brands in the affordable arena, But for me personally, I approach those a little bit differently where I don't carry all the pieces that you're going to find anywhere in the world. I only... Approach those brands with the very eclectic stuff, the things that are very hard to get. And the brands themselves see the value in what I'm doing with micro brands and they're very eager for me to buy 30 of a
1: particular model or 40 of a particular model where you can't find them anywhere else. Sure. And they're easier to stock, easier to find a little bit and keep them on ready for your good clients, I would imagine, too. Yeah. The whole approach to my business is very unique because. With micro brands
0: as well as with these unique additions from the bigger brands, what I really do is if I know a particular model's coming in and I know that they're not going to be able to be found almost anywhere else, I will market them for two or three or four weeks prior to receiving them. I will market them through Instagram, through Facebook, through YouTube, and through my email list. So all of my clients and all of my followers will see these and they can actually go onto my website and reserve one for themselves or get on a waiting list. So chances are if I'm getting 50 of a particular G-Shock or 50 of a particular, let's say, NTH or Ocean Crawl or any other brand I carry – chances are if I'm getting 50 of them, 30 or 40, if not 50, are already sold the first day I get them in. It's great because it creates that fear of missing out, that demand, and it also creates an insane brand loyalty. I have clients that I'll get in five pieces of something, and I'll email five clients, and they'll be sold before anybody else in the world knows they even got them. That's
1: great. I mean, listen, if you had to say either micro or macro brands, whatever, what do you think is In your view, what's the best watch for the money? If I'm looking for a really solid watch that I can go out, either go to work at work or go out with my wife or my buddies, what's a good watch, reasonable for the money, good price that fits the bill?
0: It's a great question, but I think the motivation of you as the buyer has a lot to do with that. There are many different types of watch buyers, just like in any other collectible or any other industry. I've got clients who are very brand name driven. So they don't care what the watch is made of, what kind of movements in it or the history of the brand, as long as if they're spending five or 7,000 or even 500 that people recognize they're wearing a quote unquote respectable watch. I have other watch buyers who refuse to wear big names that people will notice, but they'll spend 100,000 on a watch. So it's a tough question to answer in a pure form. For me personally, you know me very well. I've got watches of all different calibers and I happen to love everything from a fifty dollar swatch all the way up to a half a million dollar Patek Philippe, and I love everything in between. To me, it's really about the individual piece. I advise people a lot. I'm everybody knows me as the watch guy. Any of my friends, any family, anybody I know, I'm the watch guy, right? So if they're in the market or if they have questions, they'll hey, you got to call John, which is fantastic, and I love it. And it really comes down to just. Picking apart and analyzing what you're looking for in a watch. I have people call me and say, hey, look, I'm looking to spend under $1,500, and I want a sport watch, and I like the color blue. What do you suggest? And I can throw 10 ideas. What would it be? At the moment, for me, I'm a huge fan of Zodiac. Now, Zodiac is kind of one of the very few brands in the world that's kind of a mix between a big brand and a micro brand. They're owned by the Fossil Group, but they're run very much like a micro brand where they only make 200 watches at a time and so they're like the micro brew that
1: just got bought by imbev they're not there yet but soon be they're the, the blue point brewery wow. of
0: watches at the exactly. moment correct and but what i really like about them is they're keeping that dna of being a very small brand and doing very small runs of watches they're a brand that without a doubt whenever i get in a particular model it sells before it's on my website people email me all the time say "Hey, look i went to your website and went to the zodiac section and you don't have anything well I kind of put them up there for the three weeks before I get them. Right, and you then can, they're gone.
1: You can reserve one, and then when they come in, they're, they're sold, yeah. Well, that's great. Listen, you talked about some of the higher-end watches a moment ago. What is the most interesting, doesn't have to be the most expensive, the most interesting watch that you've ever secured for a client, and why'd they want it? Well, I'll look at it this way. I've done custom watches for clients, and to me, those are
0: always the most interesting, but they're going to be very hard for anybody to really see or search. So let's look at brands that are commercially made. I've dealt with a company called MBNF. Now, MBNF is a gentleman by the name of Max Booser. MBNF stands for Max Booser and Friends. Max brings in all of these horologists from all over the world of watchmaking, from different companies, from different countries, and they collaborate together to make these very unique pieces. They are extremely expensive. But They also are extremely unconventional. So their styles aren't the kind of styles that you're going to wear to the pool or wear and just any occasion. These things are really outlandish. They're really crazy looking. But usually the components, the mechanisms, the gears, the springs and all this stuff is very exposed. So to me, that's most interesting because of the way it's built and the way they're
1: made. You almost have like a behind the scenes view of how the watch is actually working. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's talk about money for a second. This is the Midland Money Mindset. What is or was the most expensive timepiece that you've ever been asked to secure for a client? I actually sold a watch by a brand called
0: Ulysse Nardin. It was called the Royal Blue Turbion, and it happened to have diamonds and blue sapphires, Without the diamonds and blue sapphires, this watch was a four hundred thousand dollar watch. With the diamonds and sapphires, it was a five hundred thousand dollar watch. Wow. And actually it was four hundred and ninety-five thousand. I was trying to get the guy to give me an extra five grand just so I could say I sold a half a million dollar watch.
1: Wow. That's all So what was, in your opinion, what made that watch really worth that four hundred and ninety-five just shy of five hundred thousand dollars? So it's funny, with the world of watches, particularly in the big stuff the expensive stuff, is
0: the value is an how it's made or what it's made with and things like that. It really comes down to what people perceive the value to be. What I mean by that is, yes, it might have cost 30 or 40 or $50,000 to make that particular half a million dollar watch. But what compels somebody to buy it for half a million dollars versus, let's say, a hundred thousand? And look at a brand like, there's a brand out there called Richard Millet. Now, Richard Millet, probably the watches cost, without R&D, probably cost somewhere in the ballpark of 10 or 15,000 to make, I would think on the high end. Their average price point is three hundred fifty dollars to $450,000. Wow. It's of a markup. Yeah, it's, uh, it is. It is. And that's one of these brands out there now where you cannot buy them. I mean, even if you had the money, it is so difficult to find one of those watches because they only make a few hundred a year and everyone is
1: spoken for before they're made. That's amazing. To have a product at that price point, to have it already spoken for before it comes out, Really is a testament to the quality and their workmanship and, and the brand. One thing that astounded me when I entered the world of watches is I grew up very middle class here
0: on Long Island, great upbringing, and what astounded me was how much money's out there talking about money and. People would come in and spend, just on a random Saturday afternoon, come in and spend $130,000 on a watch just because they saw it in a magazine. And that would happen far more often than I'd ever imagined prior to getting in this industry. And that, to me, is one of the most fascinating things, even to this day, 20 years later. Well, if you
1: remember... I think it was a couple years ago. I was on a cruise, saw a great watch. It was a Breitling in a magazine. I texted you about it when I got home. It was kind of hard to find. And you steered me in the right direction to go take a look at it. Loved it in the magazine itself. And you talk about perception and buyers looking at certain things. When I actually got to the store, I put it on my wrist it was like, eh. Yeah, yeah. It didn't end up pulling the trigger and buying it because of that. If you're going to pay that kind of money, wasn't 000, <laughs> no, it wasn't $130,000 wasn't right. at that level. But even so, if you're going to spend good money on a watch, you want to make sure it looks good and makes you feel good. Otherwise, yeah. it doesn't make sense. There was a particular watch that I
0: had craved for about six or seven months. And every month, i put a couple of dollars away to secure the money to get it. And I went into a friend's store in New York City and it was who it got one for me. I got there and same thing. I was, meh. I was so much more impressed with a lot of the press I was seeing it on yeah. and, and the reviews I'd watch on YouTube and things like that. And when I got it, just didn't do it for me in person. And then on the same token, the opposite has also happened where I see it and not really love it and then get it on my wrist and say,
1: wow, I love that. Yeah. Currently, what brand right now would you say is the most sought after and popular? Is there a brand that yeah. is more sought after than others? A hundred percent. There's obviously naturally always Rolex,
0: right? Rolex is the brand in the industry. Their demand has only gotten stronger over the last few years. Rolex has always been the master of marketing. They've also been the master of, if they know they could sell a thousand of a piece, they'll make 400. So they create their demand to be so obscene that they're a waiting list two, three, four years long for a particular stainless steel watch. So let's look at Rolex as a given, right? That They'll always be that way. Aside from them, Patek Philippe is also one of the most sought-after brands in the world, as well as Audemars Piguet and, as I mentioned before, Richard Mille. Those are the four brands that, in my mind, if somebody said I'm thinking about buying one or I have the opportunity to buy one, is do you suggest it? In my opinion, those are the types of brands that will always be in demand. What are the price ranges on those brands, from low end to high end? So Rolex starts in probably I have to say about the six or seven to six to seven thousand dollar range, and naturally go up to, I don't really know of many Rolexes that sell for much over $150,000. Patek Philippe, I would say starts in the mid 20,000 range and they go up into the million dollar plus per watch. Audemars Piguet, very similar where they start in the thirties and go up to over a million dollars. And then Richard Mille, as I mentioned before, I think their starting price points are probably in the 250,000 range and they
1: go up to about three or 4 million a piece. Wow. That's amazing. As a person who loves watches, like you do, and very knowledgeable about it. If I'm an average person who just likes seeing the watch, I don't know about the inner workings of it. I just know whether it looks good or not, feels good to be on my wrist. What are some things that people who are looking to purchase a watch that they should be looking out for, that easy things that they should consider when making the watch purchase outside of the normal, hey, I want to make sure it looks good, it's going to fit the time and place that I want to wear this and how often I want to wear it. Right. It's a fantastic question because, again,
0: in the position I've always been in, I get that asked a lot is what should I buy or what should I look at? This is to me, I mean, I know you said aside from the looks of it, but to me, Rule number one is you got to love the watch. You're going to be looking at it all day long while it's on your wrist. It also represents your personality in a way where most of my watches are sporty and they're dive type watches. That's kind of my personality where some people might be much more into the dress watch thing. But at the end of the day, best watch in the world or a $20 Timex, you've got to look at it on your wrist and love it. Going forward from that, you really have to buy the seller because, like any industry, there are a lot of people out there that will tell you almost anything you want to hear so that you make that purchase. I, on the other hand, feel that it's very important for, like, in my position, I've always talked to people. I've gotten as much information out of them as possible, and I've given as much information as possible. I very often have talked people out of watches that they originally wanted for whatever reasons. The one thing I would say avoid at all costs is buying watches and investment. Unless you are extremely knowledgeable or unless you have a very unique opportunity, which doesn't come around very often, most watches, just like automobiles, de- depreciate. Is that right? Most do. You're going to find the ones that will make you a ton of money, but you really need to know what you're doing. I personally was investing in watches, again, Prior to starting Gauge, but after leaving my old position, I was buying and selling watches. And there are a few times that I got burned. In addition to that, the markets always change. So where I was actually making really good money doing that for about a year and a half, the market changed. Something happened within the watch market where it was impossible for me to buy the desirable watches at a price where I can turn them and sell them. And I've been in the industry for 20 years. And so my suggestion to people is look at those watches as something you're going to love and enjoy and wear, maybe pass on to somebody or something of that nature. Yes, you can sell them. They always have some sort of value, but don't ever buy them as an investment unless you're really willing to take a loss.
1: Are they higher end? I mean, does that investment apply across the board amongst watches or is there like a small subsection of watches in that higher end market that, they are good investments, per se, versus the lower end of the market.
0: My advice to anybody who almost insists on investing in watches, I say, look at Patek Philippe, look at Rolex, but you also have to be very picky about which models within those brands that you're looking at. There are some others, Audemars Piguet, there's a few collections within their brand that I would say are safe bets or not safe bets. But then there's always these anomalies, right? There are watches that might come out and they might not sell well, originally, and then something happens within the market or within the brand where all of a sudden that price skyrockets and vice versa. It's just a very, very tricky thing. You just have to really know what you're doing. I mean, same with cars. I couldn't personally go into the car collecting or buying and selling game today, even if I had a half a million or a million in my pocket to do so because I just don't know enough. You know, I could buy what I like. I could buy what I think might make me some money over time, but chances are I'm probably not going to do that great. So, you know, I've advised people who insisted on it, and I am so adamant about, I cannot be responsible of what the value is gonna be in the future. However, there are people who just love the action of it, so it's exciting to do. There are watches you can buy to be safer than others, for sure.
1: I think the moral of the story is, if you're gonna buy a watch, buy one that you love, buy one that you're gonna enjoy when you wear it, and you're gonna feel good about wearing it, end of story. Correct, and the other side of it too is, I do enjoy cars, and there are
0: cars that I've bought or cars that I'm looking at. But for me personally, I'm going to drive them. So I don't want one of these things that's going to go to shows or I'm going to keep in my garage with a cover on it. I want it to have some wear to it, so I'm not going to feel guilty about driving it.
1: Same thing with watches. I'm not going to buy a watch so it stays in my house in its holder and just there on display when I go into my dressing closet in the morning to see it there. I want to put it on my wrist and be able to wear it and not have to worry about what's going to happen to it. I want to drive it, so to speak. Correct. So listen, this is the Midland Money Mindset. So our last question, which we ask to everybody is, what's the one thing that you do each day that brings you joy and puts you in the right mindset for success? For me, a few things.
0: What starts my day perfectly is just seeing my family and my kids. I made the big switch from having a job, having an employer, and having set hours to being an entrepreneur. A big part of that was a lifestyle. I get to pretty much do what I want when I want to do it within reason. And for me to be able to spend some time with my kids in the morning and not feel like I have to be somewhere. And my wife, to me, that's very important. I often wake up. My wife leaves the house very early in the mornings. I wake up often before she leaves just to spend 10 minutes. That's always my motivation. And the other thing I do is For me, I always read what's going on in the world, particularly in watches naturally. So I look at some of the blogs. I look at some of the social media while I'm drinking my coffee and I see what's new, what's happening. And that kind of motivates me as well. And then I set an agenda for the day. I'm personally the kind of guy that if I don't have a list of things to do, almost nothing gets done. I'm the guy who sees something shiny fly by and I'm like, oh, what's that? And I follow that along to wherever that goes. I try to agenda my day where I know I need to get these four things done or these eight things done. I try not to overwhelm myself, and I set them in a level of importance, number one, number two, number three, number four, or or, or in a chronological order, what makes most sense for the day. But, but that's really, for me, how I view a successful day. And then, of course, I wind down and also get ready for the next day. I love to end the day with the family.
1: That's awesome. And now I even have a better indication of why you and I get along so well, because... Like you, my family is a driving force in my life and it's great to associate and know other people who feel the same way. And I think it comes down to the old saying, right? If you do something you love, you almost will never work a day in your life. It's so true. That's the mindset that we're trying to instill upon the people listening to this show, that if you can set yourself up financially and have the right mindset that potentially you may never work a day in your life, in theory, it's gonna be fun and enjoyable. I have to be very honest, since the day I started Watch Cage, I truly don't feel like I've ever worked.
0: To me, it's things I would choose to do. If I had all the money in the world, never had to worry about a dime again, I would still love to do what I'm doing right now. And I try to teach my children that. And I think I'm a good example to them of that because they see my happiness within doing it. And I tell them, I don't care, If you never go to college, I don't care if you learn a trade, I don't care if you become the most successful lawyer or doctor or anything like that in the world. What I want them to do is find something they're passionate about and use that as their path for a career. And I don't care what it is as long as they love it. And I like that saying that you just said. I mean, I've been hearing that for 20 years, and I think that was a big motivation for me starting WatchGage and going off on my own. But in addition to that, I mean, the money, in my opinion, will find you it may not be 2 million million a year but for me i'm actually making less money than i did when i was an employee right but i'm 10 times happier and the money is finding me as i grow and build and show my enjoyment to the world it's now it's coming to me that's so,
1: awesome that's a great thing and we appreciate you being here john if people want to learn more about micro brands or more about watch gauge where can they go to learn more for
0: me my business is 100% social media driven it's 100% online with that I crave the personal interaction. So first thing is my Instagram, my Facebook page, the WatchGage Instagram, the WatchGage Facebook page, as well as my website, and I have an email distribution list. I do not send many emails, maybe one a week, but when I do, they're pretty cool. They're pretty awesome, packed with fun stuff and some very rare things. And then certainly anybody can at any time email me at john at watchgage.com because again, I love that personal interaction. When I was in a job, in a career, I saw 10, 15, 20 people a day. Now I'm in a warehouse and an office in Bayport and I see almost nobody. So when I get a phone call or emails or questions, I mean, I love the personal interaction and I love being able to help people if they're looking to learn about watches or buy a watch.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, John. And until next time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to thank John for coming on the Midland Money Mindset Show. Thank you for sharing your vast knowledge of watches in both micro and macro brands. Be sure to follow John on social media. He's on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And also, take a look at his website, watchgauge.com. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at mitlandfinancial.com and be sure to smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content. And listen, please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. Be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about the mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement.
2: The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly.